Welcome to Four Points Online. We are honored that you are joining us today. If God is using this ministry to change your life, please let us know at fourpoints.org forward slash my story. It's because of your generosity that we are able to expand the kingdom. If you would like to give and be a part of what God is doing, then visit fourpoints.org and select the safe and secure option, or you can download our app and choose to give there as well. We are so excited to hear a powerful message from God's Word today. What's up, everybody? Hope everybody's doing well. I'm so excited about today. I'm so excited about what's already taken place and what's about to happen here. But before we get started, I want to just address something that's been going on uh, for a long time in our church. But for everybody that's new, maybe you don't really understand why we do certain things. And so today I just thought I'd take an opportunity to explain it. We don't allow kids under the fifth grade in our worship area. And a lot of you probably wonder why. And that's a fair question. And I want you to know there's two reasons for it. Four years ago, our leadership team got together and we decided that we would make this a principle in our church that we would follow, and, and here's why. Number one, this is the secondary reason, everybody, but number one is we desire a distraction-free worship environment, and as I or someone else is speaking, that it's a distraction-free environment in here for you. Other than the people that are already asleep, come on, somebody, bump them, wake them up. We want a distraction-free environment. And so let me just say, if my kid was in here right now, some of y'all know Haston, my goodness in heaven, it would not be a distraction-free environment if you know what I'm talking about. Then this is another thing. Am I the only one that likes... 30 minutes, an hour, an hour and 15 minutes where we have some freedom, where we can just sit and relax and let people who love on our kids take time and love on our kids while we get to be in a distraction-free environment. I just want to say to every person in here that's a four kids volunteer, thank you. Thank you for loving on my kids. Thank you for loving on everybody's kids. We think you're awesome and we love you. And then here's the bigger reason. Today's message I'm really excited about is dealing with doubt, and I'm, I'm pumped, and I believe God's going to do something in your lives, but it is not designed for a six-year-old. It's not designed for an eight-year-old, but everything that we do in the four kids ministry is designed for your kids in their age-specific way. So in Studio 4 today, first through fifth graders have a lesson that is exactly planned for them to teach them the love of Jesus and that they can enjoy life in Christ. But in here, they would not get that. And that's why we made the decision. So I'm not saying that you have to like it. I know some of you don't understand it, but that's why we chose to do it. And that's what we're going to do. And we want you to know if you don't understand it, you don't like it, we love you. We know this isn't the church for everybody, but we hope that you'll find life in this church because that is our desire. And by the way, that's what today's about, is for us to be a life-giving church. And so with that being said, I want to get started, and today, here's what I want you guys to do. Will you take out your worship guides? Everybody wave them at me. Take out your worship guides, and there's notes on the back. And what we want you to do today is to really take some notes, because I believe that this message is going to set some people free. But for everybody that knows Jesus, this message is for you, because there are principles that I'm going to teach today about doubt and about life in his name that I believe will set you apart and set you free. And, and maybe you've never really understood some of these things. So get your worship guide out now. And, and I want you to take notes. Men, let me just say that this is for you too. Come on, somebody. This is for you too. So here's what I want you to do. Will you just tap your neighbor right where you sit? And I just want you to say, I doubt that. Tap your neighbor and say, I doubt that. 
Let me hear it. Say, I doubt that. Here we go. The question today is, does doubting mean I'm not a Christian? Does doubting mean that I'm not really saved? If I have any doubt whatsoever, does that mean that I'm not a Christian? Now, let me just start with this. I do not believe that doubting means you're not saved. I believe that is a scheme of the devil. And I believe he uses that to cause you to doubt. I believe he uses doubt to cause you to doubt more. I believe he uses little infiltrations in your mind to cause you to wonder. And then we begin to think, well, I doubt, so I must not be. And I want you to just get this right away. I do not believe that that is what the problem with doubt is. However, there is a big problem when it comes to doubt because... Doubt is a feeling, this is Webster's Dictionary, everybody. Doubt is a feeling of insecurity or lack of conviction. Now, I need you to know that that word is huge. Conviction is huge. If you can get that part, conviction, and a lack thereof, that is the problem. That is where we find ourselves, a lack of conviction. So, here's where I find myself, y'all. I doubt lots of things. Now, Jesus is not necessarily the thing that I'm talking about because I doubt a lot of things, but I really trust Jesus. I, I question what's going on a lot of times, but I trust him. But I doubt a lot of things. And, and maybe some of y'all say this. Do y'all ever say this? I doubt that. You know what I mean? I doubt that. So like Lee and I will be at home and we'll tell the kids to go upstairs and get ready for bed. And Lainey's our little mama, and so she's really good at starting the bathwater and doing all this. And then we hear this ruckus going on upstairs. And I look at her and say, you think they're getting ready for bed? Guess what we say? I doubt that. I doubt that. And we doubt all kinds of things. Do you think so-and-so will be elected? I doubt that. Do you, think, do you think this thing will take place? I doubt that. Do you think the Gamecocks will win next week? I doubt that. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in here? You don't doubt what you believe strongly and have a conviction for, but you do doubt what you lack conviction for. And so there's a lot of things that we say that we hope happens, that we do, that we hope takes place, that, that we doubt. And then there's things in our lives that we, quote, know took place, and I ain't sure, or we think might be there, and we're not sure. And I just want to show you a couple. Area 51, young people. I know y'all might not know what this is, but this is like the secret place that may or may not exist in Nevada, somewhere in the desert, that all like the hidden secrets are, that the bunkers are, that the aliens are found at. And so like many people think the Area 51 is there and many people would say, I doubt that. Somebody say, I doubt that. This one's crazy. Some of y'all may have never heard that many people believe that, that Hitler, when he committed suicide at the end of World War II, that he actually didn't commit suicide. This is the conspiracy theory. And that he moved to Argentina. And this is, a, this is a dignified, distinguished man of Argentina years after Hitler died. And I just want you to look at this. I have no idea. I certainly wasn't alive in 1945. I don't know that the dude was dead or alive. But I'm just telling you right now, if this is Photoshop, they did good, everybody. Because... It could be exactly the same thing and they could have just taken it off, but there's many people that are skeptical, which is like the problem, right? 
And people say, did Hitler really die? I doubt that. By the way, just in World War II, I find this interesting. A lot of people even doubt whether the Holocaust was real. That's fascinating to me. That doubt with something like that can even creep in. My grandfather was in the army during World War II, and he let me interview him my senior year in high school, and I didn't see him cry a lot. I don't remember him crying in my lifetime. We were very close. But in that interview, I remember him weeping over what his eyes saw when, when he pulled over a German truck and in the back of it were bodies after bodies after bodies. And, and some of the things he saw, which I'll spare you some of those things, it was an awful sight for him. And I can recall a lot of those things he said half my lifetime ago. But I don't doubt that. This is a big one, y'all. Everybody that was born like a baby boomer age or whatever. You're born in like the 50s or the early 60s right now. You just cringe because I put the moon up there, right? Because you were alive when Walter Cronkite got on the news and said, we've landed on the moon, right? This is Walter Cronkite with the news, and we have landed on the moon. And you went crazy at your home, and y'all all cried, and you had a hug party, and at school the next day, everybody had a flag out because, you know, oh, say, everybody was excited, and like, praise the Lord, it was good. But, like, there's so many things about this that people my age go, I don't know, right? I doubt that. Like, this is one of them. I'm pretty sure that it might have taken place at Area 51, everybody, huh? But all joking aside, the reason that we don't know about these things is because we weren't there. And we didn't see it. And we look at technology today and we say, why have we never been back? And most likely we went to the moon, y'all. But there's so many people who doubt that. And then this is the last one. This is very recent. It's Osama bin Laden. And I hope that joker's as dead as a doornail, everybody. But there's many people that believe that it was a, a body double and that, that, that the American government is paying him. And, and there's all these conspiracies out there. And I'm telling you, if you just, it's, it's sad. If you just Google like school shootings and all these other things. People doubt all these things because people can come up with conspiracies about everything. Why? Because we weren't there and we didn't see it. And we don't know if we can believe it. And we're not sure. Because whatever we don't see, we don't believe. If we didn't see it, we don't believe it. And like, that's the tension that we find ourselves in is seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. That's what, that's what I hear over and over and over. And I'm going to use a word, and I want y'all to understand what I mean by it. We live in an age of reason where if I can see it, I can believe it. If I can make it make sense, it has to agree 100% with science. So that's why the church finds itself in the place of the sin today. That's why evolution is so much more popular than, than God creating the world. I have no idea how God chose exactly to create it. I believe in the seven days. I don't know all the details. I know what God gave us in Genesis, but, but we weren't there, so we don't believe it. And science says that it looks like this, but I'm just telling you. It is what it is, but it's not always what it seems. And in this case, and in many cases, even though we see something, it might not be what you think, because seeing isn't always believing. I want to show you the description, not the definition, the description that the faith chapter in the Bible gives for what faith actually is. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction, now isn't that interesting, the definition of doubt is lack of conviction, and the description of faith is the conviction of things not 
seeing. I need y'all to take an inventory right now of this. Seeing is believing. What we, we desire to see, we have this, this inside of our flesh desire to want to see things, to believe things. I, I think about this story when doubting Thomas, Jesus had raised from the dead and doubting Thomas walked into a room with the disciples and, and he said, I don't believe it. If I could just stick my finger through, through his scars, then I would believe. And, and he did and he believed. And then Jesus said that, that we're blessed when we don't see, but we believe. And like, that's the trouble, right? Is to have conviction for the things not seen. For an unseen God who lives in us, who lives around us, who moves constantly, who you can tangibly feel his presence, but I can't see him in a person form, it's difficult and it causes doubt to creep in. But this is what Paul said that faith happens by. Faith comes by hearing. Everybody say hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Perception is not reality in the kingdom, everybody. And doubt creeps in because it's Satan's greatest ploy against us. Listen, this is what Satan does to us. His goal is not to destroy us all at once. Let me be clear about this. I know John 10.10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but, but he doesn't want to destroy you all at once. He just wants to distract you and let doubt destroy you. He wants to distract you and entice you with certain things in your life so that, so that your own doubt can destroy you. And I'm telling you, Satan uses a sleight of hand. If y'all ever uh, watch like illusion, illusionists on TV, I like watching them. I like to know how they went through the Great Wall of China. You know what I mean? Like that, that freaks me out. And they'll do these card tricks and I'm like, how did they do that, right? That's amazing. And they do all these things like they'll, they'll make money come out of my hand. I'm like, I know this dude didn't have no money. Come on, somebody. I, I, I know that didn't come from me. So how'd you do that? They make, they make this, this bracelet, the four points bracelet, go on to my other hand. I'm like, you, there's something going on. And this is the deal with sleight of hand. They want you to look up here so they can do it down there. And that is what Satan does to us. He knows who he is, and he knows, more importantly, who Jesus is. He knows that Jesus took death, hell, and the grave, that he, that he took the keys of death and hell, and he conquered death for our sake and for God. And, and because of that, all he wants to do is distract you so you'll destroy yourself with the doubt of seed that he puts in your mind. And so there's a story that I want to share with you today, and it's a principal story. Whenever you can go back to the very first time something is seen, that is such an important story because it's where the foundation is first laid. And this is Genesis chapter 2. And this is really like the second story of the Bible. God has created the heavens and the earth and, and light, and everything's happened, and the earth was formed, and then Adam was created. And then this is what Genesis chapter 2 says. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put a man whom he had formed. And so, so God had created all these things and then, then he created this garden. And he put them in the middle of this beautiful, amazing garden. And out of the ground, now listen, this is important. Out of the ground, the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good food. Every tree that you're able to eat 
came out of the ground. But listen, the tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was as well. Now, I think this is fascinating. All the other trees were coming out of the ground. But the Bible says right here that in the midst of the garden, now this word midst in some of your translations will say middle. And I'm not going to stay here long, but I find this so fascinating, y'all. That word best translates a hovering in the middle of. I believe that every other tree they could eat from was actually to eat, was for food, was just like the Bible stories you grew up with where they took and eat fruit, or they took and ate, excuse me, fruit. But I believe the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life were hovering and not rooted into the ground because they were rooted into eternity. And this is so very important as we move forward. It's so very important as we move forward. And this is the other thing I need you to know. Everybody say knowledge. Knowledge is not always good. And here's why. Knowledge is what I believe because of what I have received in my mind. It's the information that I have taken in. And I'm going to show you that a little more in just a second. But it's the information I've taken in that leads to what I see. So look at this. There were two different trees, and the Lord God commanded them, saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Now, this word eat does not mean, like, like I said earlier, if you grew up in church, if you've ever been in church before, you've seen this story. You don't even have to grow up in church to see this story, because like, they'll do cartoons of it, right? And you've seen it before. And, and Eve takes an apple. It's always an apple. I have no idea why. But Eve takes an apple. I always just want to ask, why can't it be a pear, everybody? Like something else. But Eve takes an apple and eats, eats the apple, hands it to Adam. Adam eats it, and the rest is history. But this word eat does not mean to eat it like we eat for food. It means to ingest information, to take in and ingest knowledge. And, and, and right here it says, I don't want you to ingest this as truth. Because on the day that you ingest this, you will surely die. And this death was not an earthly death. This death was an eternal death forever, damnation and destruction. And the word knowledge, like I was talking about a minute ago, means what you know. But, but as importantly, it means how you view the world. So the knowledge that we have in our lives and, and, and what we've ingested as truth. And listen, think about this with doubt. That is how Satan tries to destroy you. Is so that you ingest things, even if, it's, even if it's good, to distract you from God. And so I need you to know as we're going forward, view the world is so important because eyes to see and seeing is believing all tie in. And this is huge, y'all. So continuing in chapter 3 in Genesis, it says, Now the serpent, now in this story, the serpent was a type or a picture of Satan, of fallen Lucifer. I believe in Genesis 1-1, between 1-1 and 1-2, he fell from heaven. And now we find ourselves with the serpent on the ground taking a type or form of Satan. Was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Like, like why would God do that? Why would God not want you to have fun, everybody? Why would God not want you to live 
a life that you think you should be able to live? Why would God try to take away all the fun things in life and keep you from doing the things that you want to do? Why would God do that? Why would God not want you? And here's why. This is what I believe Satan was saying right here. You need to know in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel 28, it, it describes the fall of Satan. And in that description, he tells us, he gives his tale. The great illusionist gives his hand up and shows us what the problem was. And he tells us, I want to be like the most high. And his pride began to be revealed. And he was the most revered of all the angels. And yet, as a result of his pride, he fell. And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus said, I, I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. And he failed because he wanted to be like God. And the enticement that he's offering Eve in this moment is not a beautiful apple, but knowledge. And I believe that it wasn't bad things. I've always thought of evil, evil, evil. But I believe in this case, it was good. Because I think so many times we get caught up in the bad we do. And that's very important. Sin is, sin is what separates us from God. But it's the good oftentimes that leads me away from God. When I'm walking with him, it's the, it's the desire to do more good and not the desire to have a relationship with Christ that draws me away from God, that brings doubt into my mind. I have not done enough good. And so the enticement here was to ingest good and be like God. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden like all of them are good. But God did say, you shall not ingest, take in the fruit of the tree that is in the midst, hovering, of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Like, this picture is so amazing because they were given a picture of what is a protection of God. Listen, but it feels like a weight and a jail cell. Like, this is a lot of what we talked about with the belt of truth two weeks ago at the end of our numb series. And that we're, when we're girded in the truth, what feels like I, I wish I could go have that and really find out what it's all about is actually to protect you and keep your innocence. But they didn't understand that because, because temptation is an enticement to get your mind to do what you never would do any other time. And, and we don't think about those things. We just think it looks good, and maybe God really wouldn't mind, and maybe, and we talk ourselves into these things, and we cause our own doubt, y'all. The devil made me do it as a terrible excuse. We know he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and we know he comes to, to, to take names, and, and, and he wants, he's, listen, the sleight of hand is always there on us, and yet we don't care because it looks so good. It says, but the certain said to her, you won't surely die, come on. Isn't it interesting that the serpent, had, the serpent excuse me, had fallen from heaven? And if she just could have taken an inventory of what was really taking place, she would have looked at him slithering on the ground. The Bible says that he'll be crushed under the heel of Jesus. But seeing was believing in that moment. For God knows that when you eat of this, your eyes will be open. And that's, I mean, my goodness, that's amazing. That's literally the opposite end of the spectrum. The enemy of faith isn't doubt, y'all, it's sight. The enemy of faith is sight or the want to see, the need, the desire to see. 
And he said, listen, you'll see like God sees. You'll have all this knowledge. You'll be powerful and big. And you'll be like God. And he just threw his cards on the table and said, look, I, it's, it's going to be good knowing good and evil. So you need to do this because it's really good. And so Eve went and she looked at it and she saw it and she said, ooh, that looks good for food. But remember, this is not an apple. That looks good for me to take in and to have lots of knowledge. And that, I need y'all to get this, was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was, was to be desired to make wise. Now look at this. The Bible says that all sin is rooted in three different ways. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Look at this. Lust of the flesh is here. What we desire, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Whatever I desire to be important, pride, I desire with my eyes to see and what I get, and, and it becomes envy and covetousness. And then what I desire for food, lust of the flesh, I need that for me right now, food. I need that for my eyes, I want all that. And it's amazing that he just gave the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life, those things that everything comes from. You can be like God and have this great knowledge. You can get all your earthly desires and whatever your eyes see and your flesh desires, you can have. And she said, yes, all of those are taking place by good and evil to make one wise. So she took it and ate it. She ingested it. And she also gave to her husband and he ate it. He ingested it. And then look what happened. This is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. And this is why we find ourselves where we find ourselves it says, then the eyes of both of them were open. I can't tell you how many times I've said, I just wish I could see it. I just wish I could see it. And my prayer has become, I just wish I could see God. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. So my prayer has shifted to, Lord, I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know where we're going to go, but I want a pure heart. I want my intentions and my motives to be pure before you. And, and that word is like innocence before you. When I do what I do, that it's for the kingdom and for your sake. Because if I need to see it or I need to be famous or I need to have all these other things, I need you to fix it and wave a wand over it, then doubt will be my culture. And they knew that they were naked, y'all. That's so big. They had been naked. And they knew they were naked. And I think about worship with this, y'all. Think about this. I think to worship, and I think of this. When, when, when David had finished bringing the, the, the stuff for the tabernacle, and he knew that it was going to be able to be built as a temple by Solomon, and it was a great victory. David marched through the streets when the Ark of the Covenant had arrived. He marched through the streets naked, and people scorned His own wife looked at him and said, What are you doing? And many of us sit in our seats, and then during worship, we look around and go, what are they thinking? Do they think this is bad? Do they think this is good? I wonder what they're thinking. Is this bad or is this good? And we lose our innocence because we know that we're exposed. Exposure is a good thing when it comes to God. Exposure will kill you if it's not from the sun, everybody. And we all desire that exposure, but it crushes us under the weight of our own goodwill, under the weight of our own merit. And they knew they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths. Here's what's so fascinating. 
Jesus knows that you're naked before you realize it. And then when you get these eyes to see like they did, and you start covering up, because I just need everybody to just stop and think about this for a minute. This week, how many times did you hide behind something hoping that no one would see you, hoping that you could hide your sin from the world when all the while the Lord was standing right beside you? Because we say we care about God more than we care about what people think, but the truth of the matter is, seeing is believing to most of us. And what happens in the story is so fascinating because God comes and chases after them. Listen, God knows your sin and God knows that you're trying hard to be good and God knows that you've been given eyes to see. But this is where the let the little children come to me and do not hear them for the kingdom of heaven is theirs in Matthew 19. This is what it means. There's an innocence about a child, everybody. And there was an innocence to Adam and Eve who had life right before they ingested good and evil. Who had life. And that is what it has to look like. This is what I think of, y'all. Um, bedtime at our house is a little bit crazy because <laughs> they go nuts. They go crazy at my house at bedtime. And it's partly because I rile them up. Guilty. And I love it. I flip them on the bed and I go crazy. But bath time is a trip, and I doubt that is one of the things that takes place. But another thing is Haston just is in this season where Every time he gets out of bath, he wants, this is free for everybody, YouTube sensation. He wants to turn around at us and say, shake your duty. He doesn't say his bees well, so it's duty, shake your duty, daddy, shake your duty. And he's, he's completely naked. Then he goes into this. I don't even know where this comes from, but this is what he does. Ticky-tocky. And I don't know what it means or what, but he'll walk for 10 minutes doing that. And I'm like, put some daggum clothes on, boy, what's wrong with you? And some of y'all who have been to my house have seen him do this. I'm sorry. It's crazy. And we laugh. And I don't have a video of it, but I need to get one for when he gets married at like the, the rehearsal dinner so we can show it and embarrass him. But it's so cute because it's innocent. But if I had a dinner party and I had to come home from working out or come home from working outside and and I walked upstairs and I did it. And I walked downstairs and said, shake your duty. And then, and then I walked downstairs and, and all, uh, about 50 of y'all were downstairs at my house. And I was going, tiki-taki. And I was naked. Y'all would call the police, somebody. Like, it would be crazy. And it's because it's not innocent. It's gross. We, no one wants to see the Yeti walk down the stairs. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, it'd be terrible. And the, the one difference is the innocence of a child versus the ugh, of a man. And that is the place that we put ourselves in in worship. And that is the place that we put ourselves in is, ugh, I'm not doing that. And the reason we don't go out and serve the Lord with gladness is we lack the innocence of a child. And I want to close with this thought. All of us find ourselves in the tree of life as life givers or the tree of knowledge of good and evil is I hope I'm good enough. And there's one verse in the Bible that I thought was so fascinating that ties this in, and I just highlighted two different parts, and I want you to see it. It's John 14, 15. How you read this verse tells you which tree you're in, everybody. How you read this verse will tell you which tree you're in. If you love me, you will keep my commandments.
Or, guys, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The emphasis is on love in this one. And the result is you will because you have an innocence like a child who comes back to his father like the prodigal son comes back to his father and says, you know what, I don't know exactly what I'm doing and I don't know where we're going, but I trust you and I want to keep his commandments. It goes from a duty to a delight. It goes from I have to do this and you grit your teeth when you read the Bible, when you pray and I check boxes off to I get to do this because it's a love relationship. And this is the bit, it's a religion that I have to practice to continue to be better or it's a love relationship that God does in you. And here's what I told somebody this week and it was kind of on accident, but I thought I should share it. When a love relationship is taking place in your life with your husband or wife, if you're married, we often give advice that you should talk daily date weekly, and vacation quarterly. And all of us need those same things because if you love him, you'll keep his commandments, everybody. And it won't be burdensome as what 1 John 5, 3 says. And we find ourselves in this weird place of I'm not sure where I really am because I doubt that. Is Jesus really who he says he is? I don't know. I didn't see it. It's tough. And at the end of this book, John wrote all these things. And then John 20, 31 is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. And it says, all of these things were written up till this point so that you might believe, have faith with full conviction that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, the Christ. And that by believing you have, everybody say, life, life in his name. Not by how much you know, not by how much you serve, not by how much you go, not by how much you do. You do those things because of who he is in you. And it's a delight, it's good. Because God demonstrated his love for us first, that while I was a sinner, in the middle of the thing that you've done that was the worst thing that you could ever imagine, or even for some of you last night while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this is what I want y'all to do as we close. I hope that you've taken some notes. But I want you to think through this. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I just want you to ask this question. What are you saying to me? Specifically, I want you to ask this question, everybody. Which tree do I find myself in the most? Because in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Do you find yourself full of life and life-giving and love for people and doing becomes a delight and not a duty. If I ask y'all today, can you name someone in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? If immediately someone popped in your mind, then you're in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If anybody but you, because we're so quick to judge everybody else's actions and what everybody else is not doing, and we point it out and we're hateful in tone. And the truth of the matter is you may be doing everything well. And you may have all knowledge. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal if I have not love. And if I don't love as a result of his love for me first, 
then I've ingested death. Because that is Satan's desire. As an illusionist, he makes these distractions. And so this is what I want you to ask. Holy Spirit, how would you have me respond? For many of you, your response needs to be, Holy Spirit, help me. I love you. Because you love me first, I'm coming home. Jesus, thank you. And for many of you, now listen, you may have done the right things and crossed the right T's and dotted the right I's and read your Bible through a hundred times, but you don't have a love relationship with him where you talk daily and date weekly and get away with just you and Jesus quarterly. And just like a relationship, husband and wife, you're the bride of Christ and he loves you and he wants that relationship with you. And if you need to come to Jesus today for the very first time, I just want you to say yes to Jesus by telling us and checking this box right here on your connection card, filling this card out and letting us know. But this is all salvation is, y'all. Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm not God. And with the innocence of a child, I come to you because you died so that I wouldn't have to. And you rose again to conquer death, hell, and the grave. And today, I put all my trust in you, and I receive life. And in faith, which comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ, I give you my life today in Jesus' name. And if you'll just believe that and trust it, God will save you. And so if that's the decision that you've made today, we want to help you. And if you'll drop it in the boxes at the back on your way out, or you'll go to the next steps desk. We want to help you take your next steps. Guys, we love you, and this is a pillar of our church. We will be a life-giving church, not in this house alone, but out there so the world may know that Jesus is the way. Now stand with us as we sing. We love you guys. Be the church this week.